0: Hey, all. Pastor Amel here with another episode of Sweet Jesus. Taste and see that the Lord is good. Ice cream is sweet, but Jesus is far sweeter. Uh, but Snickers, ice
1: cream bars are pretty close. I haven't? have to tell you, this Snickers is good for number one. <laughs> but much like Jesus, I'm looking forward to the second coming.
0: Ah, okay. Very good. We'll get a second one in <laughs> after we finish recording, maybe, or, or next time. We'll. The carrot idea, right? Get you back in here. (laughs) I am sitting down here with my buddy Jim Chester. (laughs) And uh, just super excited to have him here. And Jim sent me a text message shortly after uh, everything was going on with Ida, maybe shortly after I got power back. I forget exactly what day it was, but hey, uh, when are we going to do our next podcast? Here's a great idea. Why do bad things happen to good people? Kind of the topic of what everyone in southern Louisiana is probably dealing with right now.
1: New York New Jersey New as well. New York, New Jersey,
0: yes. Uh, my home area right up in the northeast, they got hit with a lot of rain they did. and flooding and actually more deaths than Isn't we even had Isn't that interesting? Yeah. Yeah, they're not used to flooding. Water over
1: the hoods of cars in downtown New York, Central Park. It was a mess.
0: Yeah. New Jersey. Bad bad news. Bad news all around. And frankly, there's a a lot of bad news all over the place. Every day, the news has a lot of material, right? I mean, they don't have to search very hard (laughs) to find bad news. And unfortunately, bad news gets our attention way better than good news. And so they kind of live on all this bad news. But what do you do in a world... Where there is so much bad news, there's so much bad news available, and that's kind of what we're going to be talking about, why do bad things happen to good people, that typical question, a question that believers are faced with from unbelievers, uh, that uh, believers are just challenged with themselves, God, why, you know, and uh, what are some ways to think through that, and I think we've got a lot of material that we can work on, but uh, I have a Snickers ice cream bar, and jim finish it up jim, Go keep, keep going i'm gonna keep talking i'm waiting for you to finish so i can stop and open mine. so pull up uh, a chair pull out a, an ice cream bar of some kind uh your favorite g- uh, treat dessert today i'm having for lunch a snickers ice cream bar and jim why don't you tell us why you thought this was such an important topic
1: people suffer all the time from so many different things. And it's just the condition of our world is that we live in a a world full of suffering. Now, fortunately, sometimes we get little respites where we're able to go for a period of time and everything seems to be great. And about the time you really start saying, "Yeah, this is this is good. I've got it made. I've got my retirement set, you know, everything's going just beautifully. Something comes out of the blue and just smacks us." But what I find very interesting in this question, why do bad things happen to good people? Is it why do people think that because they're good, bad things shouldn't happen? Yeah. And I'll get very specific. This is going back many, many years. Well, just over 39 years ago, our second child was born and was over two months premature. And back in 1980, the technology for dealing with premature infants was not nearly as well developed as as it is now. And so he... Almost immediately had to be put on pure oxygen, which we were told was going to cause a condition called retro fibroplasia, RLF syndrome, where the retinas will become detached. We were going to have a blind child. And my wife and I looked at each other and very tearfully said, well, I think we can deal with that. Um, I'm musical. Maybe he'll be musical. We have a little Ray Charles. Yes, we can deal with that. And six months later, after receiving his DPT injection, the triple injection that every kid gets, the pertussis, he had a bad reaction to it and ended up with severe cerebral palsy. Mm. He was, at that time, losing his eyesight. He had been sighted for about six months but was going blind, and now he began to have very severe grand mal seizures and we went through a number of therapies before one finally controlled the seizures but by that time a significant part of his brain was essentially fried and so with the severe cerebral palsy it's a very interesting and sad condition because the reasoning capacity of the brain is still relatively normal but The disease interferes with the outgoing motor signals. So an individual may be thinking, hey, let me tell you how I feel. And what comes out is uh, because they can't control the sensory ability to speak or to touch or to walk or to pretty much anything. So we ended up with a blind child in a bed that couldn't talk, couldn't do, couldn't anything. And for quite a while, my wife was a good person who was saddled with the concept of, why me, Lord? Hmm. Why me? I love you. I've I've been a, a Christian my whole life. I've done as much as I know to do to try to honor you. Why me? And a few years later, that attitude changed to, well, why not me? what makes me different from anyone else in this world where things happen to people all the time what would make me so special that i would be spared from suffering and i think that was an awakening for both of us when we realized that stuff happens that you see it on bumper stickers slightly differently phrased <laughs> but the the essential concept is true is that stuff happens we live in a world where disasters are all around us, sometimes on a mass scale, sometimes on a personal scale, but that's what life is, Mm. is going through the highs and the lows, the goods and the bads, and doing the very best that we can. And somewhere along the way, maybe learning that there is a source of comfort and a source of power to deal with things beyond ourselves, that eventually we're drawn to and are able to tap into and rely upon, and that would be God. Yeah.
0: So, we had a pretty long conversation in my office before mm-hmm. we got in here, and you didn't mention this. <laughs>
1: well, I have to save something for for later. So, but that that was probably the biggest personal tragedy in our I'm lives. Sure. And in yeah. fact, uh, John just passed uh, almost a year ago at the age of thirty nine. We were told that he would probably live to be 12, and he lived considerably longer. And I'll be very blunt for you and your audience. There came a time finally when after praying for years and years and years, God, please heal this child. Please heal this child. It became evident that that wasn't in his plan. Mm. And I personally began to pray, Lord, whenever you're ready to take him home, I'm fine with that because the life that he lives is no life at all. And I believe that there was something better awaiting him on the other side. And I begin to pray for the mercy of God to release him from the trap that he was in here into the glory that awaits him after this life.
0: Well, I have prayed prayers like that with a lot of people who have been watching Loved ones suffering just like you did for a really long time and finally just saying, you know what, Lord, whenever you're ready. Mm-hmm. And sometimes there are people that are hanging on and you almost have to give them permission. So that's one of the reasons you pray something like that. But also tell them, hey, it's okay. It's okay. To stop fighting, to stop being <laughs> stubborn. <laughs> you know, Sometimes it's... Seems like that's really what it is. Uh, I, I'm not trying to say that's what it was with John. I'm just saying mm-hmm. that there are people that you know, you know them in life, and that's pretty much what's happening. Yeah, excuse me and, while I uh, turn
1: my phone off, which is something that <laughs> I, I should have done very early on, and I didn't, so I apologize for that. But uh, so we're all we all have
0: bouts of suffering that we deal with, and and the why me. I know I've been there. I remember the 12 to 18 months leading up to me heading to seminary. I had all kinds of things go wrong. Um, And maybe it wasn't going wrong. I think it was actually going right in some ways. My dad had a stroke. And when he went through everything that you know, why did this guy at 55 who was passing FAA medicals for the last 30-something years, why did he suddenly have a stroke? Mm. And they found a birth defect that he had probably had from when he was born that they could fix. But that was also something that his kids would have. And so I wound up getting tested, and I had the same birth defect, Mm. and I was in a much— worse condition than he was, actually. So I was told that I probably would be dead by now. I'm 40. Mm. I would be dead by 40 if I didn't have something done. So I had this hole, essentially, in my heart closed up. And that's the only reason I'm alive today. Mm. But at the time, you're going, oh, my dad just had a stroke. Oh, things at work are bad. I'm trying to get to seminary. I'm trying to get married. I had a car accident, actually a couple of minor ones, nothing too serious, but it was just like this endless series of things that was just going wrong. Mm-hmm. And I'm going, God, I'm trying to go to seminary to work for you. you know? exactly. exactly. Is this what you do to your employees? I mean, uh, this isn't very good. And then actually, you know, upon further reflection, I would actually, I think you can argue that we are the people that should be suffering the most mm-hmm because that is typically when the power of God is most evident. Uh, but that's we can get into that.
1: Well, actually, it brings to mind something that I have taught for a number of years. Uh, as an evangelist, I deal with a lot of baby Christians. They have just come to the faith. And I think a lot of people have the concept that well, I've just asked Jesus into my heart, and so now everything's going to be great. And I say, no. <laughs> <laughs> because, in, in again, uh, getting into theology, if we believe in God, God tells us that there is an adversary. And I believe that if we're just going along in life doing whatever – and not following God, Satan is very happy to let us go ahead and just do whatever because basically he's got us anyway. I mean, we're, we're living in a world where he, I won't say rules, but he has a great deal of influence. Mm. And so, hey, you're going to hell anyway. Why should I waste my time with you? But when we take that stand and say, I'm going to be a Christian, I'm going to give my heart to Jesus, everything's going to be okay, Satan goes, oh, really? <laughs> you think you've got it made now? And I have seen it over and over and over again that as people take, take a stand for God and take a stand for Christ, that very soon thereafter there are challenges and difficulties that come up that are a test of that faith. And I think maybe we had mentioned the last time I was here the concept that people believe, and I've heard this said, God never gives you more than you can deal with. What a bunch of baloney. Of course we're given more than we can deal with because if we could deal with it on our own, we wouldn't need God.
0: (laughs) And uh, that Bible passage that everyone thinks says that? Doesn't say that. No, it doesn't. First uh, Corinthians ten thirteen, I believe it is, and it says, "God will never allow you to be tempted without providing a way out." Mm-hmm. But that's temptation. Right. That's not saying that you'll be able to lift every load that that comes your way, every burden. No, yeah. actually, you need you need God.
1: Yeah. If we could handle it all, there would be no need for God.
0: We would be God. Exactly. Which is a message that a lot of people. Would like us to believe, but mm-hmm. uh,
1: not true. And and we had talked a little earlier about this concept of of gods that there are other gods that people worship, be it celebrity or money or I mean, celebrity comes to mind. A because I'm an entertainer, so I've I've been in that walk, uh, not to the degree of the the big time stars, obviously, but. It amazes me, the people that will follow a celebrity and they read about them and they buy all their stuff and their rooms are decorated. Uh, I know actually an individual uh, up in Picayune, Mississippi, that is, of all things, a Dukes of Hazard fan, <laughs> which I thought was one of the most ridiculous shows I've ever seen in my life. But he's a fan. But he has got a collection of probably $30,000 worth of signed miniatures and this and that and whatever all over his place of business. And I heard the definition one time of worship as where your mind's attention and your heart's affection is directed. And when people worship football teams and singers and actors and whatever, that they give so much attention and affection to them, much more so than they give to their Lord, because they live this seven days a week. Sunday they'll go and pay homage to God. And then Monday they're right back into doing whatever they do. And it, it's a real shame that, one, we don't recognize that we truly are worshiping something other than the one true God, but the sadder part is that we can't give that amount of love and attention to the one who deserves it.
0: Yeah. We all worship something, and I, I talked about this a little bit on Sunday We're going through this parable of the prodigal son, doing a number of different topics within that, and we talked about suffering this past week and how suffering can actually be a really good thing. And one of the things that it does is it exposes our idols, Mm -hmm. what we really worship. It shows us that really... You know, Dukes of Hazard is the most important thing to us, right? Or that air conditioning is mm. really the most important thing to us. And it's not God. And, and it shows us that all of that stuff that we think is so important can't possibly be as important as we think it is if it can be gone in an instant. Mm-hmm. right? I mean, if it can just be blown away by one storm, then it can't be all that special, And yet, here is a God that looks down on this place and goes, Man, they got it rough. Mm. Life is really terrible now. And, and, you know, maybe we need to back it up first and say, Why do bad things happen to good people? You sort of talked about this. Well, there aren't any good people, Mm -hmm. right? There's no such thing. And,. We are really behind this whole mess. You know, God actually made a really good world, mm-hmm. and we screwed it up. And maybe we weren't there at the very beginning when it first got screwed up, but the way that I always talk about it is it was sort of like Pandora's Box, if you're familiar with that Greek mythology, and and we sort of unleashed a cancer Sin is kind of like a cancer that's infected everything, and so everything is sort of wasting away slowly but surely in, in some way. Uh, nothing quite works right. Paul talks about this in Romans 8, that the whole creation, even we ourselves, are groaning inwardly. There's something about this world that's just not right. Mm-hmm. And and God looks down and says, well, I made a really good world. You all screwed it up. <laughs> but I still kind of love you, Mm -hmm. (laughs) and I still feel bad about what you're going through, and so I am going to enter into this mess, right? He's he's in the bliss of heaven, the perfection of heaven, this incredible place where he's free of pain and suffering and comes to this world of pain and suffering in the person of his son Jesus and endures the worst Mm -hmm. that the world can throw at us everything that we think we have endured he endured and more and more and more and and lots more and he was he came into this world to to give us a way to be free of it so when he pays for our sins that means that when we see Jesus again you know God does have a plan to fix it all mm-hmm. but when he does come since there are no good, such there's no such thing as good people, right we're all bad we're all sinners mm-hmm. when he comes to do away with all the evil all the 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 sin all the brokenness, he doesn't also have to do away with us
1: I wanted to back up just a bit because you you've mentioned a couple of times now um good people, and there may be listeners viewers out there that are thinking well you know i I am a good person i i really i don't do. The bad things. I'm trying to help others. I'm a good person. And I think we get caught up in in trying to measure goodness because we don't understand that there is no such thing as relativity in goodness. We want to view, well, I'm better than him, or I'm not as bad as that. (laughs) When in fact, goodness is not relative, it's absolute. And that goes to the concept of the word holy. And people talk about a holy God, but I wonder how many people actually understand what the definition of the word holy is. And the definition is separate. That's why God is holy is because he is separate from all of the sin, all of the bad things that are going on here. He is perfect. His realm is perfect. And any blemish, on holiness, any blemish on on perfection makes it imperfect. And so God is perfect where we are is imperfect. Whether we're better, worse than anybody else doesn't matter because we are not perfect. And that alone separates us from a holy God. And so Again, it doesn't matter how good you are. And I, I think I discussed this uh, last time, that even as an infant, when you learn your first three words, mama, daddy, and no. no. Yeah, rebellion. That, that rebellion, if yeah. that's the only time you ever rebel in your life, that one blemish makes you imperfect. And so nothing well, else matters at that it, point. It's more than one time.
0: Oh, I <laughs> guarantee you. I mean, it's literally, you know, if you, if you start to – look for it and you become sensitive to it, you will find that almost everything that we do, even when we think we're doing good things, you know, there is this spirit of rebellion mm-hmm. underneath, you know, and, and even when we're fighting for what's right, yeah, we do it with this spirit of rebellion, this... Selfish motives. Uh, yeah.
1: You know, yeah. We, we're doing something to help someone else, but we enjoy the feeling that we get. Oh, look what I did. I am so good to have done this for these other people. Mm -hmm. And again, you can play the game with any number of situations, but that's all it is. It's a game. It's us trying to justify somehow that we're not as bad as maybe we thought we were when in fact it doesn't matter because we are not perfect. And that's the only thing that matters.
0: And in case you're wondering what Jesus thinks about you, uh Luke 11, he's teaching the disciples on prayer and he says something to the effect of So if he he tells actually like a little story, a parable about hey, well, you know, if this guy asks his neighbor for stuff, of course he's going to get up mm-hmm. and 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 if your son asks you for something, aren't you going to give him a good gift, right? You're not going to if he asks for I forget what he says, but you're not going to give him a scorpion, right? Right. And if you, who are evil, know how to good give good gifts to your kids, how much more right does your father and he just called the disciples evil mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't think I'm better than the disciples, although they do look pretty stupid sometimes sometimes they do so so Jesus thinks uh, Jesus says we are evil right he he knows that we're broken he knows we have this spirit of rebellion so there really are no good people but there is one good person and and this kind of gets to the second question you know you started out why me lord and then you said why not me mm-hmm. i remember specifically thinking you know as i was going through that time just before seminary and i have had way worse suffering than that since <laughs> like whoa mm-hmm. that was nothing but it was the first time i had to wrestle with it and i remember Asking myself the question, God the question, I even said it to my pastor in kind of frustration, like yelling, screaming, kind of like, what the heck is going on with this God? Like, this is what he does to people that that want to help? But when you start thinking about it, you know, there's, I think it's Mark 12 and there's another passage in Matthew maybe where Jesus tells this story about a guy who owns a vineyard And he rents it out to tenants. Mm -hmm. And then when it's time to collect, he sends people. They beat him up and throw him out. They beat him up and throw him out. They beat him up and throw him out. Some they kill. Some they beat up. Oh, I know what I'll do. I'll send my son. Mm -hmm. Sends his son. And, of course, they go, hey, it's the heir. Let's kill him and it'll be Mm -hmm. ours. When you look at that story, aside from the fact that is the logical conclusion after they have done all those horrible things to everybody else to send your son? No. So so God is a little less logical than we want, you know, he, mm-hmm. he confounds our logic in some ways. But here's a God who is perfect. And yes, people that served him, the prophets, pastors, Christians just in general, right, have all suffered. But then God has sent his son who was perfect, who was the only good person, and he suffered. Who, do, who am I to think that if Jesus suffered for, in, in a lot of ways, for being perfect, mm. right? He, he suffered because he was the one who did everything right, right. And, and he wouldn't capitulate to the, the scribes and Pharisees and religious leaders of the day. Uh, if he went through hell, what makes me think that i'm going to get off scot free sure but what christianity gives us is something that the world doesn't give us our culture today has you know every other culture in history had some way of dealing with suffering you know they they may not have had a christian approach to it mm-hmm. but they had something that they could tell people about it, even if it was wrong or, or not really all that helpful. You know, the gods are angry, and so we're going to do this, or, you know, you must have done something in a past life, and that's why you are where you are, and so you just got to kind of get your way out of this cycle by doing good things or something like that. At least there was a way to understand it and try to deal with it. Today, basically, we just try to ignore it. Mm. We run from it we do everything we can to keep it as far from us as possible and and we don't even like I mean we hardly even talk about it and if you are suffering there there's still as much as there is this culture cultural push to say it's okay let's destigmatize mel- mental illness with uh, Simone Biles let's destigmatize uh, you know, the Me Too movement, right? That was a whole big thing about, you know, being able to be uh, open and transparent about things that have happened to mm-hmm. women, right? And e- even with all that, we still, we we don't actually have a way to process it, to, to think through it, to handle it, to find strength in the mm-hmm. face of it. We just act like there are these momentary things that sort of happen every once in a while. And if we can just... You know there's a country song, if you're going through hell, keep on going, don't slow down. If you're mm. scared, don't show it. You might get out before the devil even knows you're there. Mm. I forget who sings that song. It's a great song though. We have that mentality that if we just kind of just keep going, mm-hmm. it'll be in the past and we'll never have to deal with it again. But actually, Christianity offers the best resources for dealing with suffering. And people often look down on us because I think you had said this maybe before we turned uh, started recording everything, that, well, I'm not that weak. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I don't need a crutch like Christianity mm-hmm. to get through. Mm-hmm. And actually you do. Everyone does, and that's the idle stuff you had right. got us on, right? We We all lean on something to make us feel good about ourselves. When bad things happen there is this natural inclination to go you know I must have done something wrong God must be mad at me or or something like that right, right. and so we try to to prove that we're not that bad by finding value finding a sense of self-worth mm-hmm. in our career or the fame you talked about right. or having a lot of money or certain people liking us and affirming us. And, well, if that person thinks I'm special,
1: well, then I must be special. You mentioned the stigma associated with mental illness or any number of other things. You know, anything that's out of the norm that people go, oh, you're different, or oh, you're this, oh, you're that, and how old that concept is because it really was the theme of the book of Job Mm -hmm. is that the concept in Judaism pre-Job was that bad things happen to bad people. Mm-hmm. And in fact, when all the disaster befell Job, what did his friends say? What have you done <laughs> that Repent the Lord, already. That Jeez, the Lord would do this? And he said, no. In fact, God, in fact, in his conversation with Satan said, look at my servant Job. Yep, He is blameless, I believe was the word that was used. But – The concept at the time was if bad things are happening to you, you've done something bad to bring it on. And the book of Job was basically the argument against that to say, no, bad things happen and in fact they can result in good things. Things People grow and come out of it and it's so sad I think that this many years later because Job was an Old Testament book. Mm -hmm. And yet so many people are still caught in that concept that what have you done that you would now deserve this? And the the answer is none of us really do anything to deserve anything. It's just the way things are.
0: I mean, if if I punch you in the face or if I shoot you I go to jail, mm-hmm. or I get all kinds of people mad at me who come after me and make my life miserable, and I find myself on the run, or whatever it is, and I'm suffering. Yes, I did that. That's that's all on me. But But yeah, more often than not, it's not like this, you know, action-reaction kind mm-hmm. of cause and effect that's obvious. But Jesus talks about this, too, in a couple of spots. In John chapter 9 they're walking past this man who uh I think he was I think he was blind, right? Mm-hmm. And he says, well, "What was the reason?" his disciples ask him. "Lord, why was this man born blind? Was it he or his parents who mm-hmm. sinned?" Mm-hmm. And Jesus says, "Neither." Right. This man was born blind that the glory of God might be revealed in him. Mm. And then in Luke 13, he has these uh, this conversation, I forget exactly how it gets started, but there's this tower that falls, and it's a tragedy, and people die. Mm-hmm. And then he says, what, do you think these are worse, worse sinners than you or or those that had their uh, sacrifices mingled with blood from mm-hmm. the, the local governor or the emperor or something at the mm-hmm. time? He says, do you think they were worse than you? No, but unless you all likewise repent... Uh, You will all likewise perish. The idea is that everything around us is—life there's is fragile. Mm. Life is uh, not what it was intended to be. There's so much brokenness, so much Mm -hmm. pain, and you never know when your time is coming. Oh, gosh. And so repent. Recognize your brokenness. Mm -hmm. Recognize just how fragile you are. And and that's probably the number one idol in 21st century America— that is precisely this this idea of the crutch. Mm-hmm. Everyone, even Christians, right? I don't need anyone. Mm. I don't need anything. I am 100% independent. I don't need anyone's help. Even if they are in desperate need, they would rather help someone else than accept help. Mm. I don't know if you've ever encountered that yourself, mm. but there, there's a lot of people that that just don't want it. And the the hardest thing to give is in. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I've heard that uh, a few times now recently. Uh, Tim Keller is a guy I listen to a bunch, and he has said that the the hardest thing to give is in. The hardest thing to give is yourself to say, I can't do it, and I I can't carry this burden alone. I need help. Mm -hmm. I need you, God. And I think that's one of the ways that God works in suffering. You know, well, well, first got to finish off. If you're suffering, it's not because God hates you. It's not, right, God loved you so much, he entered into this mess, even though he didn't have to in the person of Jesus. He loves you like crazy. He cares about you, and he loves you like crazy. Hmm. This isn't any kind of, you know, what's the you know this isn't some kind of curse this isn't right. some kind of judgment. All the judgment in the world on sin was carried out on Good Friday. Mm-hmm. that was god's wrath on sin poured out on Jesus. Mm-hmm. But when we suffer, we be if we embrace it and we filter it through the cross, I know that personally I have gained. just a tremendous appreciation for what Jesus actually did. Mm. So until you know what it's like to be rejected and abandoned and betrayed by the people closest to you, until you have that happen, you don't really know what Jesus endured. Mm -hmm. Because Jesus was, I mean, pastors probably say that all the time. Jesus was betrayed, he was rejected, he was abandoned, and we just kind of go, yeah, 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 okay, where are we going with this? But no, actually think about that, and and think about the way that you may be experiencing that. Maybe that's your burden, that's your suffering in this moment. That's what he endured, and not just from people, awful, (laughs) evil, people who you would expect that from, he got that from God. Mm -hmm. That's what happens, you know, As I think as he says, my God, my God, why have you forsaken Mm -hmm. me? He is turning to God in his hour of deepest need, and all he gets is silence. Mm -hmm. Now, one of the things that became really profound for me as we think about this specific idea— suffering hurts us more when it's closer you know if you read the paper about you know there's a tsunami i don't know how many years ago now 15 16 18 years ago mm-hmm. in indonesia Indonesia, right. right hundreds of thousands of people dead and maybe it was even on the front page for a day or two mm-hmm. and people look at that and go oh man that's terrible that's terrible where's the sports scores <laughs> right I mean, that's just because it's so far away. It's so detached. We don't know people there. We don't have any loved ones. We don't have any connection there. We don't even have business there probably. It's just remote. But if suddenly, oh, now it's the United States, 50 people die in some shooting somewhere. Mm -hmm. Well, now people care a lot more because that's the United States. But even still, well, that was in Colorado. Mm Mm-hmm. Oh, but what if it happens in Florida? Well, that's a Gulf state, right? We're on the Gulf. They're on the Mm. Gulf. Now we care a little bit more. What if it's your town? Right. What if it's somebody you went to high school with? What if it's your spouse? Mm. The closer it gets, the more intimate the relationship, the closer the relationship, the more painful it is when something bad happens to them or if that relationship breaks down right? So divorce is like one of the most painful things Mm -hmm. people go through because it's this super close, super intimate relationship where you are giving yourself completely to a person and they're giving themselves completely to you. And all of a sudden they say, I found out everything about you and I reject you Mm. and I don't accept you. I don't love you. Well, imagine now the worst pain that you and I or anyone else listening has ever experienced, the worst rejection ever, the closest person, a parent that rejected you, a spouse, a best friend, a colleague, uh, take that pain and multiply it by infinity. Because if you think about Jesus and the Father, right, I mean, that's love and intimacy Mm -hmm. from before time began, and God said, and Father says, no. Father sort of turns away from Jesus, for even for mm. just a moment. That has got to have hurt. Sure. Way more than anything any of us have ever endured. And when we frame it like that, not only does it humble us like, what am I getting so upset about? But it suddenly now takes what we may have believed about God's love and it puts bones on it. Mm-hmm. And it moves it from our head to our heart. We talked a little bit about today. Uh, it it brings it to another level. It deepens it in such a way that whatever it is that we're upset about pales in comparison mm-hmm. to the fact that we are that loved by the creator of the universe. Yes. So it's an I, awesome concept. Yeah, yeah. What uh, What else are you thinking about suffering that that people are struggling with? Questions people ask. Things that have been helpful for you over the years in processing.
1: I have often talked with people about consequences. And in terms of our life decisions, uh, again, we're not good because even one blemish makes us less than perfect, and we're way beyond that. But, the, again, the idea of why is this happening? Well, because actions carry consequences. Mm. And the, the one story that I really like to go back to because it involves – God's chosen and that was David. He was God's chosen man to be the leader of Israel. He was he was so close to the Lord. And yet from his perch looking down on the roof of a neighboring house, seeing Bathsheba mm. and not only desiring to have her for himself but then conspiring to have her husband murdered. <laughs> And then when the prophet Nathan, I believe it was, came and stood before him and told the story of a man that had herds of sheep, but when it was time to prepare a dinner, he went and took the one sheep that his neighbor had. And he loved that sheep dearly, but he took it from him and sacrificed it and, and served it for dinner. King David, what should the consequences be, and he said, that man should be held accountable, and Nathan pointed the finger and said, you are that man. Mm-hmm. And David was still God's chosen. God didn't turn his back on him because his infinite love even overcame that. Yet, David was chased throughout the countryside for the rest of his life by a son who wanted to kill him. Mm-hmm. And he went from a palace to being a fugitive because those were the consequences of his actions. Yeah. And so we need to understand that goodness, badness, it's all a relative kind of thing, but we're still held accountable for our actions. And some of what we go through in this life, we actually bring upon ourselves. Mm. It never separates us from the ultimate love of God. However, God says, basically, you've brought this upon yourself. <laughs> Deal with it until I resolve yeah. things
0: in the end. And um, I have, uh, I have definitely had moments where I, you know, even the whole betrayal and abandonment and rejection—that whole idea—when that was probably worst in my life when I experienced that the worst. Eventually, I got to a place where I was like, well, yeah, but you put yourself in this situation. Like, why did you even expect that these people mm-hmm. would <laughs> would be there for you? Jesus, in uh, John 2, after the wedding at Cana, talks about all these people that believe in him, you know, the first of his signs in John. And, and then it says, but he didn't entrust himself to anyone because he knew the hearts of men. Mm. You know, th- so there's this idea that, don't ever trust a human being with everything you've got. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? I mean, Jesus knew that. You know, trust no one. I mean, what was that? X Files, <laughs> the TV show X Files. Imagine that. Like Jesus, here are your your rules for life from Jesus: trust no one. <laughs> Not a warm and, it, and fuzzy. it's really
1: sad to think that that's the world in which we live. Yeah, is that betrayal is so common that. You really, even when you do trust someone with some of the deepest, darkest secrets of your inner being, is that there's still that possibility of betrayal. Mm -hmm. And what a shame. What a shame. Because that's not what God ever intended for us. But that's what we've brought upon ourselves.
0: Yeah, and, and just that first consequence, you know. Even if the consequences aren't, you know, I mean, what did we do to bring Hurricane Ida mm. upon us? I'm sure there are plenty that would say that it's climate change mm. and things that we're doing. And there may be a sense in which that's true. I don't know enough about that to to speak intelligently on it. but But why to the West of us and not us, right? Like, why the western part of St. Tammany and Homa and mm-hmm. Baton Rouge and Hammond and why all those places and not Slidell
1: because stuff happens
0: because stuff happens right there's no there's no real cause other than the initial cause that we talked about earlier that you know that opening of pandora's box mm-hmm. once you, you you couldn't go back right? right there are some things that once you make that choice. You make that decision. There's no going back. And we are all living post one of those mm-hmm. decisions that we can't change and that we're living with things that may or may not have any consequences. And and you mentioned Job earlier. When Job finally gets what he is demanding, which is an audience with God mm-hmm. at the end of that, God basically says... You know, we're so busy saying, where were you, God? Where were you when Mm -hmm. this happened to my child, this happened to my spouse, my parents, me? Where were you? When God shows up, he turns the question around on Job and says, where were you Mm. when I laid the foundations of the earth? Right. Who in the world are you? You're like a little just, (laughs) Mm -hmm. (laughs) that's you, this little dust thing right here on the edge of my shirt and you're trying to say to me where was i you're judging me you're saying i'm somehow uh, to blame i'm i'm worthy of your uh, wrath and rage mm. and anger and bitterness no where were you when i laid the foundation and at the end of that whole ba- he shows up in a whirlwind and and is asking Job these questions, and then finally at the end of it, you get through all of Job, and, and did we ever get an answer as to why it happened to Job? I mean, we got the prequel mm-hmm. where where Satan and God are kind of having this odd conversation. Yes. And we don't get the answer that we're looking for. This is why it happened, Job, so that I could do this, this, this in your life and in the lives of the people around you. or what. We don't get that. Mm-hmm. Neither do we in our lives. <laughs> right. And but that's the trust in God that you mentioned earlier, that we need God.
1: We were discussing earlier faith, and faith is a, a whole other subject that we could spend hours talking about, but it's an essential quality of dealing with what's going on in the world because without faith, there's no hope. Um, and, and two things that come to mind there. One, that faith isn't something that we develop. It's not something that we're born with. It's a gift that's given by God. Uh, and we have to ask him for that faith, uh, at least the, the faith to take that ultimate step in trusting Christ is a gift from him. But hope is another interesting concept because hope is defined differently, I think, between unbelievers and people that have a solid understanding, a solid theology. Uh, best definition I ever heard, as well as opposed to the world concept of "I hope it happens." I don't know if it's going to happen, but I sure hope it does. That's not a biblical idea of hope. The biblical concept of hope is the assurance of things yet unseen so that the hope that we have in Christ isn't, I hope that the story I read in the Bible is true. It may not be, but I hope it is. No, we can be assured that it is true, and that is our hope, Hmm. that we don't have to worry about it because when God says it, He means it, it's true, it's done, let it go. Yeah. But and it's a difficult thing to
0: deal with. And part of that sure and certain hope is that there is an end to this at mm. some point, that Christ has won. So so we talked about his suffering, but actually Christ is victorious over his suffering. Mm-hmm. He conquers his suffering. He undoes it, right? Mm-hmm. And and then there's this hope, this sure Insurance. and certain hope that Christ is coming again to help every single one of us experience that mm-hmm. overcoming of our suffering, the undoing of suffering I in our
1: lives and in the world. One of the greatest hymns that, before praise and worship songs, when I was young, we sang hymns and... Victory in Jesus is such an amazing concept. Victory in Jesus is that we not only will overcome, we have overcome in him. We haven't seen the fruition of that yet, but we have the assurance that it's a done deal and that in his time we will experience that victory that he has accomplished on our behalf.
0: And our suffering, I think, can actually be a means of directing us to this Mm. future hope in a way, this victory that we have presently, but we experience it presently by reflecting on its future too. Mm. And our suffering gives us this opportunity to be reminded that we really long for perfection. <laughs> mm-hmm. There's something in us that, you know, like we can just get annoyed about the most silly things <laughs> that just don't go right. I've talked about this a few times now. I was getting ready to go on vacation uh, back in July. And before I left, I it was sort of an epiphany. It was a God moment, I think, where God is kind of smacking me upside the head, but it was more gentle this time. I didn't, I was listening this time instead mm-hmm. of needing the... And he said... You know, this trip that you're looking forward to is (laughs) going (laughs) to (laughs) suck. Like, just so you know, you should be prepared for it to be kind of miserable at times. Mm. You're going to drive 3,600 miles round trip with four children. With children, children, that's the You (laughs) and your wife and four children? Like, you think you're going to like your wife the whole time? You think she's going to like you the whole time? You think you're going to like your kids? You think it's all just going to be this wonderful, uh, you know, uh, family bonding time where you're just living it up with your kids and they're loving you and you're loving them and it's just this perfect riding off into the sunset thing and no it's going to be miserable at uh-huh. times and if you will just recognize that you might actually enjoy
1: it an awful lot more and when it's all said and done it's the good things that you remember it is the good things that you remember it's and a, it was
0: better yeah. for recognizing that it it wasn't going to be perfect but then when it wasn't, it helped me long for the day that we know is coming in Christ, the right. day, the last day when Jesus returns. And, and we get that perfection. We mm-hmm. get those eternal moments, right? Like right. those bonding moments, those moments where you're just like, oh, I just wish it could last forever. You're not ever going to wish it's mm-hmm. going to last forever. Right? It
1: is. It's going to feel that good. It's an old analogy, but it's, it's very valid. Taking a look at pure gold, the beauty of pure, refined, 24-karat gold. But you have to understand that that's not the way gold is when it's in the earth. Mm-hmm. And it has to be dug out, crushed, put through the heat, and refined. And the analogy to our lives as we grow in Christ is very much that, is that here on the earth we're going to be crushed and put through the fire in order to be refined to eventually come to that perfect moment, which again is not of our own doing, it's that when we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ so that he no longer sees the sin that was separating us from perfection, but rather now it's covered by the blood that he shed on our behalf. And and that's a whole other thing, the idea of uh, the blood of Christ and, and what it actually did is that like any crime, again, consequences. There are consequences for actions. There's punishments for crime. And if you are caught doing 70 miles an hour on Gauls Boulevard, you're going to be fined about 300 bucks. You appear before the judge.
0: You may not have a license, actually. He tells you
1: you're guilty, and, and you pay the fine. Well, on the last day of our life, we're going to stand before a judge, and we're going to account for the crimes that we've committed here on earth, and the judge is going to pass a verdict and say, you are guilty of this and this and this and this, and the penalty for that is death. Now, we defined holy as being separate. Interestingly, the word death also means separate. So when we die, our soul separates from our body, but also the idea of spiritual death is that that's the separation of us from that holy, separate God. Mm -hmm. We are dead in our sins, separated by that from that perfect God. And so When we stand before the judge, instead of saying you have to pay $300, he says, that well, you have to die. Well, what am I going to do? I hope that I can get a lawyer. (laughs) Only one problem. There are no lawyers in heaven. (laughs) Well, maybe some, but There, 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 there there are none practicing law there. However, God is willing to provide us with a public defender. And so Jesus on that day is going to come and stand next to me. And then God's going to look at him and say, okay, your client Jim has committed all of these crimes. The Mm -hmm. penalty is death. How do you plead? And Jesus is going to look at me and smile and look at the father and say, your honor, he's guilty as charged. However, I would like to pay his fine. Mm -hmm. And that's the grace that Jesus, when he shed his blood, paid the fine for the crimes that we've committed on a heavenly scale. Mm. And that's a concept that if you break it down is so simple and makes so much sense. Yeah.
0: It, it would be unjust to demand more, mm. right? Because the, the fines already been paid. Correct. If I have to pay a $300 fine for driving 70 on Gauze Boulevard and I pay it, well, they can't come after me again, right? You've done right. your time. You've paid your fine you've whatever it is to fulfill the law mm-hmm. the that that is uh, the consequences of your
1: your crime but here's the catch in the heavenly trial when jesus says i've paid his fine i believe he's going to look at me and say if that's okay with you <laughs> in other words i have here the death that i died on your behalf Are you willing to accept this? And that's the question to us here on earth. Is it Christ has already died to pay the fine for our sins? Are we willing to accept the price that he paid? And that's the test of faith. Are we willing to trust that what he says he did, he actually did? The blood that he shed will actually cover our sins. He has done it. He has told us that he's done it. God has accepted it. Are we willing to accept it?
0: Yeah, and that's what I was talking about earlier. A lot of us, even if we believe it, we don't really want to accept help from
1: anyone. And that's the ultimate question in everyone's life. Are you willing to accept the gift that Christ has given us?
0: This, I think, this is one of the things that God— is trying to do in the midst of suffering you know he i don't know if he's causing it right we talked about it. i mean this is really just the consequences of a, mm-hmm. a, the entrance of sin into this world the brokenness is a result of that um but i i don't know i think i actually just had a Brain hiccup. I can't remember where I was going with that. I was like, "Oh, this is this perfect thing."
1: It may be getting um, close to noon. It, 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 it probably, it's past noon. Actually. Oh my goodness! And the the podcast viewers are going, "Will they ever <laughs> <Never> stop, stop <laughs> talking?" Yeah,
0: no. But the, God is trying to do something in our suffering. He doesn't send it. He doesn't. I think that's why I got off trying to. Oh, wait a second! I got to back up before I say what I'm going to say. Now. But I think He's doing something in our suffering to try to help us recognize our need. Mm -hmm. What I did on Sunday, going through the parable of the prodigal son, you know, what is it that ultimately unlocks... The the series is called The Reckless Love of God. Mm -hmm. Reckless is a a play on the word prodigal, right? The the prodigal son Mm -hmm. is reckless with his money, his living, Mm -hmm. and he finds himself experiencing the reckless love of God at some point, but what is it that ultimately unlocks the reckless love of God? What is it that helps him ultimately experience the reckless love of God? Well, it isn't until two things happen. Repentance, which I will talk about in a future Mm -hmm. sermon in more depth, but this particular one, it was repentance, but then also suffering. Mm. It wasn't until he suffered that he finally realized that everything he thought was so Mm important— couldn't do what he wanted to do that's the idolatry component that's we're trusting in things that are never going to give us what we want and and recognizes then secondly our need we need something else we need god really mm-hmm. right that's the thing we're trying to fill with the fame and fortune and and approval of others and and so many other things and and then what he realizes was that You know, aside from the fact that all those things failed him, he didn't think, he wasn't as smart as he thought he was. He recognizes he's in need. He's in famine. He's feeding pigs. I mean, it's the ultimate insult to a Jew. Or a Jew, absolutely. This is, he has sunk so low. And then he goes, But wait a second. My father has something. (laughs) Mm -hmm. And maybe he always had something. And I was just too stupid to recognize it. Mm -hmm. And he goes, I'm going to go back, hat in hand, and say I need help.
2: Mm-hmm.
0: And and actually, our if you're at a point, if I'm at a if whenever we get to those points, it's actually a gift in a sense because it's only when everything else has failed us mm-hmm. that we're finally we come to our senses, as right. it says in that passage. Right? We come to our senses and go, ah. Oh, God was who I wanted all the time. Right. He was the answer the whole time. And and that is where I think we get this idea, oh, well, if I believe in Jesus now, everything will be okay. It will be if we recognize that all those other things will fail us mm-hmm. and it's not maybe going to hurt as much because we're not trusting those things as much, but but we will have a fulfillment, a satisfaction, a hope, a joy, a peace, all these other things that transcend the ups and downs of this life, the sure and certain hope that it will be coming to an end, that we are loved, that nothing is ever going to change that. And when we get to this courtroom at the end, if as long as we're willing, right, the hardest thing to give is in. Mm-hmm. If we're willing to give in, right, if we're not, it doesn't matter how much we accomplish or what our resume looks like, how good we are. Right or how good we think we are, or other people think we are. If we won't let him
1: do it for us,
0: <laughs> we're screwed.
1: And again, it's up to us. Yeah, It's up to us. Are we willing to accept what God is willing to do for us?
0: I agree with you. I, I, one slight nuance that I think is helpful for people. As a Lutheran, Lutherans would say, you know, there, there's a Luther's small catechism talks about the Holy Spirit mm. this way. I cannot, by my own reason or strength, come to, G, uh, come to uh, Jesus Christ my Lord, or believe in Jesus Christ my Lord, or come to him. But The Holy Spirit has enlightened mm. me, right, mm-hmm. by the gospel. So it's not so much that we do it, no one comes to the Father except uh, the father draw him Mm -hmm. john 15 but we can get in the way Mm. you stubborn stiff-necked people constantly resist the holy spirit so really we're resisting and that's where this idea of the hardest thing to give is in it's just it would actually happen god is calling you he's doing the work
1: Mm -hmm. already right stop fighting (laughs) Mm-hmm. Stop kicking against the goads like Paul. Right, and I love how you mentioned in, in the same breath the Holy Spirit and the gospel because in the beginning was the Word, mm-hmm. and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. God. And so, in fact, the Holy Spirit is that Word. And And not to get off track too much, but I found this interesting. One time I was going to be going to a church to – Work as a supply pastor, and the night before I was doing a program at a church that was a King James only church. Hmm. Now God bless them; that's that's <laughs> fine for them, you know. I, I don't buy into that, but they were King James only, and so that night I woke up in the middle of the night and realized I'm preaching tomorrow from the NIV, and I never asked that church if they had a specific translation that they were bonded with, and I got up and I looked at the passage that I was going to be preaching from, and every translation I looked at, and I looked about eight, including the Reina Valera in Spanish, they all read differently, and I'm like, (laughs) oh my goodness, I am in a mess, but the Holy Spirit directed me to John 1. 1 in the beginning was the word and the word was with god and the word was god and i looked it up in the next translation exactly the same and the next and the next and the next every one of them read exactly the same including the Reina Valera, which is odd because typically in Spanish where we would say a white house, they would say a house white. But in that particular passage, word for word exactly the same. And it made me begin to realize that the argument we have about translation is pointless because the word isn't the written word. It's the spirit of God. Mm. And that is the same it just becomes a matter of how is the easiest way to read it for you to understand it and again it goes back to the idea of i think of denominations that they're like restaurants some people like italian some like <laughs> mexican some like french some like barbecue you
0: might me you might get me thrown out of mind but but uh, the, the, <laughs> the
1: thing is is that it doesn't matter so much which type of restaurant you go to as long as you're being fed. Mm. And when I'm presenting the gospel, I'm not concerned about someone joining my denomination. I'm concerned about them coming to a relationship with the living God through Jesus Christ. At that point, Go where you're comfortable. Mm. Find some place that you can fit in and you feel comfortable so that you continue to grow in Christ through the gospel that's being preached there. But make sure you're being fed. Mm. And I think that's why we have denominations. I think that's why we have other translations. But ultimately, in the beginning was the Word, the Holy Spirit of God. And that's where our connection lies.
0: Yeah. I am not ashamed of the gospel, for it is the power of God for those who believe, mm-hmm. Jew and Gentile alike, right? Wow. Good stuff. Yeah, hey, uh, sounds like we could talk about 1,500,000 other things, but... I plan to come back. Good. <laughs> I'll make sure I have Snickers <laughs> Snickers,
1: <bars>. absolutely, because <laughs> it's a good thing Jesus is sweeter, because that's mighty good. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, Exactly. Exactly.
0: All right, y'all. Hey, I hope this has been helpful. We bounced around a bit, but I hope you know both of us have endured some suffering. We probably could have talked more about Mm. our personal stories, but uh, hopefully this has been helpful. Hopefully you know that God still loves you. He cares Mm. about you. We know that in Jesus, and in Jesus, we have strength to endure things that are coming our way no matter what strength that does not come from anything else in this world. You need a crutch. We all have a crutch. It's just a matter of which one it is and whether or not that crutch can get kicked out from under us or not. So I hope this is encouraging in helping you rely on Jesus. God bless you. Good to be with you. Hope to uh, catch you again soon. See you. Amen. Bye.